I am always impressed with busy people who are able to focus. Busy people who have lots of others vying for their attention, vying for their time, lots of responsibilities, and yet they're able to stay on task, on target, and to focus. And uh, I just think of all of you who serve in our church, uh, all the great things that you do to make our ministries possible in addition to your busy lives and your family lives and your work schedules and things like that. And so uh, hats off to you for being able to do that. I'm impressed with my own wife, Laura, who juggles many balls in the air and wears many hats. Uh, she is a wife to me, which brings lots of problems in her life, I'm sure, craziness and being a pastor's wife. And she's a mother of our two boys, uh, which during the pandemic also means that she's also been part-time their teacher, in part their guidance counselor, in part their principal, as they've had to do some remote learning during the pandemic. And in the midst of that, she's also a room mom for one of their classes. Uh, she is now a mom of our new puppy and taking care of our sweet dog, Bella, and keeping us all on track. Uh, Laura's a daughter. She's a sister. She's a friend. She is a neighbor. Uh, she's constantly taking the boys to appointments and doing a great job of doing errands and chores and feeding all of us, and she always makes extra food for the children who are in our neighborhood, who are in our COVID bubble, uh, that end up at our table as well. And I could just go on and on and on, but just grateful to Laura for her ability to balance and to focus, and I learned so much from her. Uh, and I know that there are many of you out there who are doing just as much, if not more, in your own lives, trying to juggle your personal life, your family life, your social life, your business life, your, your relationship with God. Uh, and sometimes that can just be really intimidating and it can wear us out. And sometimes we just feel that we're at our, our wits end. And so how do we maintain focus when so many people and so many responsibilities are always vying for our attention and trying to pull us apart? And so uh, if, you're, if you feel that tension or you, you know what I'm talking about, trying to juggle a lot of balls in the air, well, I'm glad you're here today because we're going to try to figure out how we can get a fresh start with focus in our lives. How we can get a fresh start with focus because there's so many things vying for our attention. And a great place for us to be able to do this is in Scripture in the story of Jesus. Because when you think about Jesus, that's God who left heaven to come to the earth to be a human being while still re remaining God. He was sent to save the world and to preach to the nation of Israel and to perform miracles and healings and doing all kinds of things. And, and he was a very busy individual. And lots of people were trying to get his attention and wanted him to speak to them, preach to them, heal them, spend time with them. And just thousands upon thousands of people were trying to get a piece of Jesus. And yet in the midst of that, Jesus was able to take care of himself. In the midst of that, Jesus was able to focus. And so how was Jesus able to do that? And can we learn something that we can apply in, in our lives? Absolutely, we can. Well, we're going to be with Jesus and his 12 disciples in the very beginning of his public ministry. And he's starting out in the northern part of Israel at a place called the Sea of Galilee, which is kind of like just this big lake. If you can imagine a big, beautiful lake, near you, wherever you are right now watching. If you're here in Charlotte, maybe think of Lake Norman. Um, and, and around that big lake, the Sea of Galilee, were these rolling hills, and there were towns spread out around the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus and his disciples have gone to one of them called Capernaum. And they're there, and Jesus has been teaching. 
with authority. He goes into the religious place of worship and teaches and, and, and goes through scripture in bold ways that is new to those who are listening and they're just amazed at what he's doing. But not only that, but he's casting out demons from people and he's performing miracles. He's healing people who are sick and blind and not able to walk. And so the word is spreading very quickly in, in the first century kind of social media way all around the Sea of Galilee and people are just coming to Jesus in throngs and he's having to try to stay focused in the midst of that. Well, that's where we're going to pick up the story today. We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark. Mark was the first written gospel that we have. It's the second gospel in the New Testament because it doesn't have a story about baby Jesus, but it's the first written gospel somewhere around the year 70 A.D. And we pick up the story in chapter 1 where Jesus has been doing all these healings and all of this teaching. Uh, and so let's jump in with Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So in the midst of all this craziness, Jesus took time out to go and spend with God the Father in prayer. That was his number one priority, spending time with God in prayer. Simon, who was Peter, and his companions, the other disciples, went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus, don't you know everyone's looking for you? Why are you out here by yourself? We need to get back to Capernaum. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. That is why I have come. Jesus is being faithful to his mission. He was sent to preach to all of Israel. That is why I have come. And so in the midst of this healing that he's been doing, this teaching, Jesus and the 12 disciples in Capernaum have developed kind of like a, a rock star following. They're popular, and everybody wants a piece of them. And the disciples uh, are human. You can't blame them. They're enjoying this. And they're like, let's go back where people are really glad to see us and glad to see you, Jesus. This is a, a great time. We, we're, we can get some attention. We're gonna, you can go back and do some healing today and Maybe we can get a band out there and get some food trucks, and we'll just have a, a good time. And maybe, you know, maybe we can sell some T-shirts with your picture on there, get some bobbleheads with, your, with the Jesus bobblehead going, and get a, you know, a hashtag on social media. Right? You are you're ripe right now, Jesus. This is the time we've got to capitalize on your popularity. And so the disciples are wanting to get Jesus to go back to this fun time and, and be you know, the rock stars that they were being. And, and, and yet Jesus, in the midst of all that attention, knew that he needed to focus. And so he went away, and he spent time with God the Father in prayer. Right? His number one priority was being in a relationship with God. Right? In the midst of all that were pulling on him, he said, this is how I recharge my batteries. This is how I stay focused. I've got to make time to spend with God. And then he said to his disciples, you know, this has been great, but we need to go to some other villages because that is why I have come. Right? I've come to preach to Capernaum and to heal in Capernaum, but also all throughout Israel. And so we can't just stay in one location. I'm called to be pastoring and ministering all across the, the nation of Israel. And so Jesus was, first of all, focused on his relationship with God, and then he was focused on the mission that God has sent to him. And so as we think about being focused in our own lives and the, the craziness, the chaos, and the pandemic has amplified that. 
then I, I think we can learn from Jesus. The first thing that we're supposed to do is stay in love with God. Right? We spend time with God in prayer, reading scripture, worshiping God like we're doing now. And, and so that, that's, that is our focus, right? Loving God. And then we got to stay in touch with our mission. What has God given you a mission to do in your life? Right? Because the 12 disciples had a mission. Jesus had a mission. You have a mission. God says in the Bible, I have great plans for you. Right? So what are God's plans for you? Maybe that's the operative question for us today as we wrestle with all of this. What's God called me to do? Well, maybe one place to look is, is who are you? What are you doing? Right? If you're a student, then maybe what you can do is be the best student that you can for Jesus. If you're a teacher, be the best teacher that you can be for Jesus. If you're an accountant, be the best accountant that you can be for Jesus. If you're a singer, be the best singer that you can be for Jesus. Right? Where God has placed you, what talents God has given you to, to to make the world a better place, right? We follow God. We do honorable things. We, we do goodness with our lives. I mean, I don't think that, that Jesus is saying, be the best cheater that you can be or be the best bully you can be. That, that's not what it is. But in the good things in, in our lives where we find ourselves, be the best that we can to bring God glory and to help other people. But even to take a step back from that individual kind of plan that, that God's given to, to each of us, there's a, there's a more general plan, a broad plan that Jesus outlines in the New Testament. His other disciples outline this in the New Testament as well. When Jesus was on the earth uh, and he was preaching and, and being a Jewish rabbi, right? Jesus was Jewish. In the Jewish tradition, there were 613 commands, 613 laws of Moses from the Old Testament that the people of Israel were to follow. And that sounds complicated to me. That sounds kind of like a heavy burden on me. And so I love this passage of Scripture where somebody comes up and they ask Jesus, Jesus, of these 613 commands, which one's the most important? Which one of these is the most important? And so Jesus says to him, the most important thing in the commandments is to love God, to love God with all that you are, with all of your heart and all of your soul, all of your mind, right? Everything that you have, pour into loving God. Remember, that's what Jesus did. He got away and he spent time loving God in prayer when people in Capernaum were looking for him. So, again, love God is our first great command. Then Jesus gave him a bonus command. And he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who's my neighbor? It's anyone that we come into contact with, right? To love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We want to do good for our neighbors as we want good to be done for us. And in the Scripture, love is more than a feeling. It's really an action. It's a choice. It's how we choose to treat people. And so Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, as you would want to be treated. Later in the, in the Bible, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, a guy named John, says it like this. He says, there's a new command that God gives, and that's to love each other, love one another as God has loved us, right? Love one another as God loves us. And how does God love us? God loves us sacrificially. He left heaven to come to the earth. He died on a cross and he came back to life so that you and I can be forgiven of our wrongdoing. Our guilt and shame can be replaced with joy and peace. We can live life to the full now on the earth and live forever in the kingdom of heaven. And so we're to be self-giving to other people. We are to, to spread joy into the world, to spread love into the world, peace into the world. We are to be forgiving of others. When we have to speak a hard truth, we speak that hard truth in love. So... Love God with all that we have. Love our neighbor as ourselves. Love one another as God has loved us. So what might that look like in your life? 
Well, at South Park Church, we really try to live out these two great commandments that Jesus has given to us. And John has added, uh, of course, loving each other as Jesus has loved us. And we do that in many ways. One of them is we just rebuilt our entire campus. Uh, we tore down our historic campus to rebuild it into a mixed-use development where the church is in the middle of apartments and soon-to-be restaurants and shops and a hotel. And, in, and the goal is to do life together. Right? It's where the church and community, we intersect. And so we're super excited about that. And we can't wait until we can get everybody moved in when the pandemic allows that. And so we do that because we think that God wants everyone to know the good news about Jesus, especially here in our community. And in the meantime, during the pandemic, we've moved to remote ministry because we want to love people. We don't want to be a, a centralized location that we might spread the coronavirus. And so we've moved to remote ministry. And we do that online. And you're watching here today, and we're grateful. You're a part of our congregation. And, and you are a great uh, example of what God's been able to do even in the midst of the pandemic. We still want to share the good news of Jesus. We're not going to be silenced uh, because of the pandemic. And so we've been able to move to remote ministry, even remote uh, life groups, as Pastor Lindsay and Yvette share with us. We'd love to get you plugged into one of those. And so we're, we're continuing to share the good news of Jesus with technology, and we're excited about that. We also continue to have uh, an outreach team uh, and also a Barnabas team that was formed during the pandemic. Barnabas was one of the, uh, the, the apostles who laid all of his worldly possessions at the feet of the 12 disciples and said, take and use this for the kingdom, for the glory of God. And so our outreach team, our Barnabas team, we strive to help people who are hurting, right? We help feed those who are hungry, we help people who need clothing to get clothing. If you got a challenge with your electricity, we try to do what we can to help people. And some of that's dropping off items. Uh, a lot of that is giving financially to support some of our partner ministries here in Charlotte. They're fighting human trafficking and feeding those who are hungry and helping refugees who are new to our country and our community. And I just want to thank all of you for making that possible. Your generosity allows us to love people as God loves us, to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. One of my most favorite things that we do as a community is every Christmas Eve, we take up a special offering uh, that's a birthday present for Jesus, and we give 100% of that away. And uh, we do that to bring God glory, to give Jesus a birthday present, and to bless uh, a ministry or two that is doing awesome things for God and can use the funding to, to continue doing what they're doing. Well, today, it's my honor and privilege to announce to you uh, what our Christmas Eve offering from 2020 turned out to be. We took up a, a Christmas Eve offering for the United Negro College Fund, UNCF, and the proceeds are going to go to give scholarships to African-American men and women in North Carolina who are attending North Carolina colleges and universities, and the UNCF will administer all that and, and take care of that. And I'm excited today to say that the generosity of this congregation allows us to give UNCF over $26,000, $26,290.60, right? Even the cents count, those 60 cents, I think that's a beautiful thing, right? So over $26,000 is awesome. That's going to provide a lot of scholarships. And I just want to say thank you. This is a way that we're loving our neighbors as we love ourselves through education, through higher education. And that that generosity is in the midst of an of a international pandemic when a lot of us are struggling 
with our own financial situations. It's in addition to what we give to the ministry budget that makes South Park Church possible. It also is in addition to those of us who supported the new campus through a capital campaign. And so I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for all that you've done to love our neighbors as ourselves here in South Park and even beyond. And today and tomorrow in our nation, we celebrate uh, another person who really, like Jesus, understood sacrifice and who loved his neighbors as he loved himself. And I'm, of course, talking about the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who did amazing things. This pastor, this, this social activist who grew up in Atlanta during times of extreme racism, during times of extreme segregation. And when he was uh, a young man, God called him, of course, into the ministry, but also to fight uh, and stand up for social justice. Uh, and, and he did amazing things, Dr. King, with the civil rights movement in the 1960s and, and advanced our nation uh, well beyond where it was. We're not where we all need to be all the way, absolutely, but Dr. King and all those who, who followed and served with him did just amazing things. And so uh, today... We're going to honor Dr. King. Uh, we're also going to honor him tomorrow as a nation uh, with a national holiday. And I just wanted to spend some time this morning thinking about Dr. King and his legacy and what he has been able to teach us. Uh, and what an amazing thing that, that he did. It was in the midst of some very violent times in which he and those who were with him trying to, to move forward with civil rights faced violence and severe violence. And, and Dr. King himself was killed. Obviously, he was martyred. Others were killed. Uh, many of his followers were not, but they faced lots of beatings and all kinds of things. And so in the midst of that, Dr. King remained uh, a pacifist, someone who was nonviolent. And I want to just share a quote with you that Dr. King gave about um, how his movement was anchored in nonviolence. And he says, nonviolent resistance is the guiding light of our movement. Christ furnished the spirit and the motivation, and Gandhi furnished the method. Jesus Christ furnished the spirit and the motivation, and Gandhi furnished the method. So Jesus was the inspiration, and nonviolent protest was something that he learned from Gandhi. And so I just I think that's powerful. And I'd like to just share just a few more of his thoughts today about nonviolent resistance. Uh, Dr. King decided not to have armed bodyguards protect him, uh, which that's a big deal back in all that he faced. Uh, when his house was firebombed, he responded with compassion. And so this is someone who didn't just talk the talk, but he walked the walk. And I think some of his guiding principles uh, were not only relevant in the 1960s, but I think would be very relevant in the midst of our nation right now. In the 21st century here in America, as we are divided very much politically right down the middle in our nation. And there is a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of hostility. There's been violence in, in our nation as well. And I think that if we look back at the stories of Jesus today, we look at the story of Dr. King, that they're very timely uh, in our nation right now. And so let's look at some of what Dr. King has to teach us. Uh, I'd like to start with his first principle. It says that a person can resist evil without resorting to violence. Sometimes we forget. I mean, we can resist evil without resorting to violence. Now, that's easier said than done, but Dr. King proved 
that it was true. We can resist evil without resorting to violence. Nonviolence seeks to win the friendship and understanding of the opponent, not to humiliate them. Right? So through nonviolence, we want to win friendship and understanding of the opponent, not to humiliate them. Right? What if we were to do that today, in today's world, in today's world of social media and the, the soundbite on television and, and the way that we demonize one another? What if, what if political opponents sought to be friends? What if political opponents sought to understand each other rather than to humiliate each other? Right? What would it look like if every election year we look forward to the election because we were looking forward to the political commercials because they were looking towards friendship and understanding rather than to humiliation, right? What if we really did this? What if we follow that? How could America be a better place that you and I would just feel a lot better about in our own lives? I just, just think if we applied those principles at work or at home or in our school systems, right? Just amazing to think if we saw each other as friends and tried to understand each other rather than to humiliate and to demonize each other. Let's keep going. Evil itself, not the people committing evil acts, should be opposed. Right? We, we see evil that happens, we should call it out. We should, we say there's accountability, right? We should attack what's been done. But remember that the people who commit these acts are, are the same people that Cole was singing about, sons and daughters of God. We're all sons and daughters of God. And sometimes we get it right and sometimes we get it horribly wrong. What are we focused on? Actions. Rather than people, we love the people, we resist the actions, and we, we made that approach that we remembered all of us are God's children. I think the world might be a better place. Let's keep going. Those committed to nonviolence must be willing to suffer without retaliation, right? I'm not going to get you back, as suffering itself can be redemptive. Those committed to nonviolence must be willing to suffer without retaliation. I'm not going to fight back as suffering itself can be redemption. Now, that is incredibly difficult. That's incredibly difficult. But who does that embody? That embodies Jesus. That's exactly what Jesus did. He suffered for you and me. He redeemed us. He saved us through his death and his resurrection so that we could be made right with God, so that we could live life to the full, so that we can live forever in the kingdom of heaven. Right? Suffering can bring redemption, and Dr. King himself was a living example of that. And by the way, we don't have to be martyrs. We don't have to die for a cause to understand what suffering is, right? But suffering can, in some circumstances, be redemptive, as it was with Christ, as it was with Dr. King. Nonviolent resistance avoids external physical violence, right? Not going to hit back, not going to shoot back, and internal violence of spirit. Right? So it resists external physical violence and also internal violence of spirit. So what this means is I'm not going to hit back, I'm not going to shoot back, and I'm not going to hate the person in my heart. Now that's challenging, and that's difficult. But what would America look like if, if that happened? We didn't hit back, we didn't shoot back, we didn't carry hatred in our heart, not only would our nation be a lot more peaceful and a safer place to live, but think how much better you and I would feel if we let go of some of the hatred that's down deep inside of us for people who are different, for people who 
anger us, for people who might do things that, that we absolutely don't agree with, and yet our hatred is not the way that we're supposed to deal with it. And our hatred not only hurts one another, but it hurts us on the inside. And it prevents us from living that life to the full that God has given to us so that we don't just resist retaliation outwardly, but inwardly we're able with the help of God to let go of the hatred that just continues to ruin our lives. All right, one more. To have a deep faith in the future stemming from the conviction that the universe is on the side of, the ju of justice. Right? It's dark now, it's hard now, but there's a better future ahead because the universe is all about justice, making things right. I would tweak this to say, and I, I think Dr. King would be okay with that because he's a follower of Jesus, because God is on the side of justice. And God wants goodness to happen. God wants things to be made right. That's why he sent Jesus, right, to make things right. Even when we don't deserve it, God brings grace into justice. So as we think about these principles of Dr. King, we think about Jesus and his example in Mark's gospel in the, in the town of Capernaum today. So what? What's the point? What's the big idea? What, what is the takeaway? This is what I think it is today that we're, we're reading from Scripture. We're seeing it as we celebrate Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s life. It's this, right? Get a fresh start, right, by focusing on what God has called you to do, and that's love one another. Get a fresh start by focusing on what God has called you to do, love one another. Love one another in your life. It's easy to love the people that love us, but love even our enemies. Love those who drive us crazy, right? We're not going to necessarily have warm, fuzzy feelings for them, right? But the way that we treat them is the way that God treats us, right? Get a fresh start by focusing on what? Doing what God calls us to do. Love one another. Now, I think it's incredible that Dr. Martin Luther King, that we're honoring him this week, just a couple of days ahead of this Wednesday's inauguration of President-elect Biden. And I know that many of you are like me, that, that we're worried that this is going to be a tough week. Some are saying it's going to be a dark week. In my own life, I've talked to Laura. I said, you know, maybe on Wednesday we just need to kind of lay low and keep it even keel and, and stay at home. Because I'm sure like you and, and like me, you have seen on the news, right, the FBI is putting out these things saying that there are planned protests in every state uh, in the nation, in some of the biggest cities and in, in the states in the nation to do uh, protests that have armed protests, right? People carrying weapons to protest in city capitals, in large cities around the nation. Uh, our church happens to be in the largest city in the state of North Carolina, and we, and we see that, and it unsettles us. It unsettles a lot of us, and there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anxiety. It was just two weeks ago that the Capitol was stormed and, and there was violence that was done. And so we're coming into this week and, and we're scared to death. And as I think about Jesus, I think about Dr. King, this would be my advice. If you're planning to go to a protest this week, I would ask that you would leave your weapons at home. I would ask that you would leave your weapons at home. Don't go armed to a protest. I'm not talking about whether you have the right to do that or not. I'm just saying, as followers of Jesus, I just don't think that that's what Jesus would want us to do is carry weapons to a protest. 
Right? So I'm asking you, please, if you're going to protest this week, leave your weapons at home. And those of us who follow Jesus, I want you to remember his example. When they came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane for something that he didn't do, he knew he's going to be put on trial, and he knew he's going to be convicted, and he knew that he was going to be executed in a terrible way, painful way, or nailed to a tree to die. And so when they came to get him, one of his disciples, Peter, right, the leader of the disciples, grabs the sword, and he starts swinging, and he cuts off one of the guy's ears who's come to get Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He said, Peter, put down the sword. This is not who we are. Put down the sword. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. Peter, put down the weapon. Leave it at home, right? And what did Jesus do then? He healed the man's ear. Brothers and sisters, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I would just invite you, if you're going to protest this week, leave the weapons at home, right? Especially if we're followers of Jesus, I do not believe that Jesus wants us to carry weapons to protest for whatever the cause, right? Leave the weapons at home. And to those of us who are watching today, those of you who are watching and worshiping with us today, who don't have any plans about carrying any weapon anywhere, I would like to, to challenge you to consider this. I know that some of us, we're ready with our words, right? We, we're ready for what we're going to say on social media, whether we lean left or we lean right or we lean right down the middle. We're ready in our minds. We've got the words ready. We're ready to, for whatever happens, we're ready to, to jump in there. And I would just say that if your words are laced with hatred, to leave them at home as well, right? If, if, you, if you think about pulling the bullets out of a gun, right, unloading, I just think about the, the, the word bullets that are in your brain right now or already on your computer or in your heart, that you would unload those words of hatred and leave them out as well. Because if we, if we throw those words of hatred, right, it's going to be bad. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be a dark week. But what if, right, we left the physical weapons at home? What if we left the the words of hatred at home as well, and, and just let it go. I'm so proud of one of our church members who I, I observed on social media recently. Uh, she was looking on a, on a social media post of one of our mutual friends, and, and there was some back and forth between somebody on the left, somebody on the right, different political persuasions, and they were just going at each other in a nasty way. And this lady in our church, her name's Ellen, and I'm just grateful to Ellen. She, she wrote into that post, she said, Bob, Sue, that wasn't their real names, but Bob, Sue, I don't know either one of you, but there's got to be a better way. There's got to be, we've got to find a better way that we can talk to each other, right? Be like Ellen in our church. There has to be a better way than spewing hatred, than carrying weapons, right? There has to be a better way. And so as we think about getting a fresh start, right, by, by focusing on what God calls us to do, and that's love one another, I'd like, to, I'd like to, for you to think about applying this in your life, right? What kind of an application can we, can we bring forward as we think about this? And I would just say it would be this, is find a way to bring the light and love of God into your week. Find a way to bring the light and love of God, God's light and love, into your week, right? A lot of people say we're going into a dark week, but what if all of us who are Christian in America, think how many millions of us there are as Christians, 
if we went into this week saying, we're going to make this a week of hope, we're going to make this a week of light, we're going to make this a week of love, we might not agree with each other, but we're going to see each other as not the enemy, right, not to humiliate, but someone that we can win over, right, to be friends, to understand one another, to find a way to bring God's light and love into the week. And so I would challenge all of us to do that. And what if we did? What if the millions of us who were followers of Jesus brought the light and love of God into America this week? Democrats and Republicans and independents, right? All of us, black and white, right? Male, female, young and old. If we brought the light and love of God into our week, what if we focused on what God called us to do to love one another? So I would challenge you to do that. And if we do that, this can be a week of hope and not a week of darkness. And so again, I invite you to leave the weapons at home. I invite you to leave the words of hate at home. Right? Get a fresh start by focusing on what God calls us to, to focus on, and that is to love one another. Right? Find a way to bring God's light and love into your week and make this a week of hope. Let's pray about that together. Gracious and ever-loving God, we thank you for the example of Jesus. We thank you for the example of Dr. King, Lord, and, and how they led us in showing what it looks like to love you and to love one another. They faced adversity. They faced suffering, God. They faced lots of retaliation. They even faced death itself. And, Lord, you used them to make this world a better place. God, we don't have to die. We don't have to be martyrs to, to be great Christians, to follow you, Lord, that in our everyday lives that we can... We can make some tough decisions. Lord, we can, we can choose a path that is not violent. We can choose to leave our weapons at home. We can choose to leave the hatred in our hearts, God, uh, on, on the foot of your altar. And so today, God, we do pray that you would take from us our anger, take from us our, our violence, take from us our hatred, God, and replace that with your forgiveness. Replace that with your joy and peace. Help us to see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ and and not just opponents, Lord, and certainly not as enemies. God, things are messy right now, and there's no easy answers, and, and all of us have different ways of wanting to approach that, but, but let us begin, God, by not doing harm to each other and seeking wisdom and seeking your wisdom, Lord. And so be with us in America this week. Make this a week that is full of peace, God. If we have to have discussions or protests, may they be peaceful, God. And most especially, may we remember your example, that you call us to focus by loving you and loving one another. It's in your holy and blessed name that we pray.